So right there in front of you, you should see one of these books or a couple of these books. We want to encourage every single one of you, if you are in that seat, you grab one of these. If you're a teenager, you grab one of these. If you're an adult, you grab one of these. Our young people, um, the elementary age, will get their own book in their own class, and it kind of uh, accompanies what we're trying to do uh, as a church as well as we walk through what we believe is the thing that God has laid on our hearts to do as a church, and it's this to lay aside all of the things that are trying to catch our attention, to set aside the things that are trying to take our energy and consume us, and instead fixate our focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. That's, that's what we're about as a church, and that's what we're going to do. And so every week, I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to preach through one of our core values that we find in Scripture, and then we're going to have different opportunities and events for you uh, throughout the week to be able to take your next step that, that, that falls into that category. So this week, we're going to be going through loving God. It's a very simple one, very, very easy. I'm lying badly. Take your Bibles, go to John 9. I do have a, an announcement for you that I want to give here in a second, but it ties in actually with the message. But we're going to be in John chapter 9. <clears throat> So this morning, as we um, jump into John 9, one of the contexts that I want to make sure we look at this story through is understanding that in great difficulty is great opportunity to be molded personally, but great difficulty also becomes a great revealer of who we already are. So, so in great difficulty, it gives us an opportunity to, to evaluate and to deal with some things in our lives, but great difficulty also is a great revealer of what's already inside of us. So when we have difficulty come up, where we run, where we seek comfort, who we cling to, whether it's a, a person, a thing, we, we gravitate towards one that we love, one we think that's going to give us hope. So let me, that's where the message is going, but that's also where this announcement is going. <sighs> Mike Clevenger has been, being faced, has been faced with an incredible amount of medical difficulties and health issues for the last almost two years now. Mike is... Not only just a member of Uniontown, he is one of our elders. Mike's a friend to all of us. Uh, Mike and Holly are dealing with some new and very difficult challenges right now. They have a lot of questions, and the answers seem to be few and far between. So what I would ask of each and every single one of you who is sitting here this morning is that tomorrow you would join the elders and pastors as we spend the day fasting and praying for Mike. Um, just a word about fasting real quick. Fasting doesn't change God's hearing. It's not some, some uh, way that we try to manipulate God to do what we want him to do. But fasting changes the way we pray. So I'll post a few resources later uh, today about fasting in case you're not familiar with what it looks like 
And, and the gist of it basically is this. This is beginner's level fasting. If you get hungry, that should be your reminder to pray for Mike right then. And any time you would normally spend eating a meal, instead of eating a meal, you spend that time in specific and focused prayer for Mike during that time. Um, obviously, not everybody can do that um, physically without putting themselves in danger, so, so please use wisdom. But team, <laughs> this is what we're called to do for Mike right now. This is, um, so what is it? What's going on? Well, this is where I tell you to just pray. Don't bug Mike. Don't, 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 I I know some people are like, texts are a blessing from God. I'm not some people when it comes to that. And at this point, Mike needs to rest and find comfort with his family and, and his God who's carrying Don't inundate Holly. I promise you if a need arises that you can meet, we will make you aware of it and give you the opportunity to meet that need. How serious is it? I'm standing before you and asking you to not eat tomorrow and beg the God who created Mike to fix Mike. That should be your answer. All right? Please. Please. Please, pray with us. Would you pray with me now, Father? As the difficulty has come in waves for Mike and Holly over the last couple of years, I rejoice and celebrate with my brother and sister that what came out of them is a deep trust and faith in you. And and that's still there. God, I know that by the very word of your mouth, you created everything we see. I know that because of your power and your authority, you sustain everything that exists and it doesn't just disintegrate, doesn't just fall apart. So Lord, I am begging you that in this moment you would use all the power that is at at your disposal to touch Mike's body and heal him in a way that no one could possibly have seen coming. I am praying that in your compassion, that it knows no ends, that, Father, your presence with Mike and Holly in these days as they wrestle with questions and answers and and are trying to figure out what, what next, God, I pray that your presence with them would be more than just real, it would be palpable. They, they would be able to actually touch and feel your presence with them. God, I pray that as your church and their brothers and sisters, that you would remind us throughout the day tomorrow to lift them to the throne of grace, asking you to work. Lord, I I don't pray um, thinking that you have to obey me. But you tell me just to keep knocking, so I'm going to knock until you say no. Father, I know you have the power to heal him. I am asking that it would be your will to heal him. 
Father, fix our eyes on Christ even through the most difficult of days. For it's in his precious name I pray. Amen. So, yeah. Difficulty will reveal a whole lot about you. You want it? I think about your own, your own life and some of the things that you struggled with and have struggled with and still struggle with. Um, I'm aware of it way more than, than I'm normally aware of it. I don't, I'm not sure if it's a season that I'm in or, or what. I'd like to think it's a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, but I think it's, it's particularly a season that I'm in. That I'm just more aware of the fact that when I'm tired or stressed or going through difficulty, that the attitude and the the characteristics that come out of me are often ones that I'm not proud of. But, but difficulty can reveal good things in people. So, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, as a country, as a nation, we faced the, the most bizarre day, right? I mean, it's hard to even fathom today what happened then. I was, I was telling folks yesterday, so I was at a, a high school past week, and, and uh, one of their teachers was speaking about 9-11 to the high school students, and to me, I'm listening, and it's like, I, can, I, I feel the feels still, right? I remember exactly where I was. I know I was, but then as I'm thinking about that, sitting before me are hundreds, hundred or so, maybe a little bit more, of, of high school students who weren't even alive. They have no concept. It's, it, the, the 9-11 is as real to them as the assassination of JFK is to me. But in that difficulty, in those tough moments, what came out of our nation was, was incredible. It was, it was this evidence that, that this nation could put aside some of the, the pettiness that we so cling to and could actually get along for a few minutes. It's fascinating. I still seeing the Congress, the entire uh, standing on the the steps, singing the national anthem together. I still get goosebumps whenever I see a picture of that. It's like that. That's 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 the great country that I love. That's that's how difficulty kind of squeezed, and that's what came out. It was amazing. And then 2020 happened, and COVID happened, and that difficulty revealed that might not be true anymore. Difficulty reveals. What is inside of us? Today we look at the story of a man who got everything he hoped for only to lose almost everything else. And we see what came out of him. And I'll tell you, it's what we long that would come out of us. So John chapter 9. It's a very familiar story. It's a story I reference often. I love this story. John chapter 9, let me start reading in in verse 1. It says this, And as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. And after Jesus said these things, he spit on the ground. He he made some mud from the saliva. He spread the mud on the 
man's eyes and said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So that man left, washed, and came back seeing. So, so there's this blind beggar on the side of the road, and we need to understand blindness was way more common in that day than we ever would have expected. Eye disease uh, had very few cures. Uh, the unsanitary conditions, particularly of the water supply of the day, led to many of these difficult things. And, and forget, absolutely forget, the, uh, the, the seeing eye dogs or Braille. Those things were not in existence. So, so this man... This man lived a miserable existence. He sat at the roadside and he begged. He he lived a life that that really had no upside. There there was no chance that he would get married. He didn't have prospects of climbing the, the social ladder. His future was non-existent. And actually, you could argue his present was non-existent because as a blind beggar, most people just walked past him, ignoring his need and didn't even acknowledge him. And as the disciples are aware of this man, they ask Jesus this this age-old theological question, well, why did this happen? Who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus corrects their teaching almost immediately. No, 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 no. Nobody sinned to cause that. So so I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but let me just make sure that I, I tell you this. Not all suffering is the result of sin. Not all suffering is the result of sin. You understand that, right? Okay, good. So I'm going to move right past that part because that was the easy part. So then Jesus bends over and, and he spits on the ground. So, so think about that for a second. If you're a blind man, uh, and, and many people say this, when, when you have an infirmity, the, the other senses actually make up for the lack of that one. So someone, someone who is born blind is probably going to have much better hearing. So here's this man, born blind. He's probably listening to the conversation of the disciples and Jesus. And then all of a sudden, all he knows is he hears this man say, no, 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 it, it, it wasn't his parents. He did this so that God, this, this happened so that God could be glorified. And then he hears, now, what? What was Jesus doing? He didn't have to do that, did he? No, but how would the blind man... How would the blind man be able to see what was actually happening? He couldn't see it. So Jesus, Jesus demonstrated for him. And then rubs the mud together and then puts it on the guy's eyes. Go wash. Go wash. And the man makes his way to the pool. He washes off his eyes. And a man who has never seen before. It's not like it suddenly slipped away as he grew older. A man who was born blind, who had never seen before, suddenly begins to see. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay? So don't forget that. He has the power and the authority unlike any other. That's Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, chapter 9. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, wait, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? And some other neighbors said, yeah, he's the one. But other people said, nah, but it looks like him. <laughs> okay, time out. That conversation's amazing. Right? 
You've got the dude standing there, and the people are speaking around him. Isn't that the guy who used to beg? Nah, looks like him, though. And notice what it says here. And the Greek is captured in this at the end of verse 9. He kept on saying, I am the one. They're they're talking about him. Is that the one? I don't think it's the one, but I think it might be the one. I'm not sure if it's the one. He's like, yo, it's me. Hey, guys, it's me. It's me. Why won't anybody listen to me? I am the one. Verse 10. So then they finally asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And the man's answer was simple. This man named Jesus made mud, put it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Well, where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. So so you have this, this, this interaction between the neighbors and the man. And when the neighbors ask the man the question, his initial answer is, all I know is the man Jesus did this. Man Jesus did this. Keep reading. As the people seem to be completely confused by this now. The neighbors cannot wrap their heads around this, right? So so look at verse 13, what they do. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Not a good plan. We'll keep going. We get a little foreshadowing in verse 14. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed, and I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man cannot be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, well, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division between them. So again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? (laughs) He's a prophet. The man said. So now, so now you've, you've got the man, now he's healed. He goes back. The neighbors are having all this discussion around him. What's going on? Is it him? I don't know if it's him. They bring him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees begin, begin this, this inquisition of him. They begin asking him this question How did this happen? I don't understand how. And some of the Pharisees, according to that context, some of the Pharisees were asking with a level of amazement How did this happen? How did this happen? And the man tells his story. He put the mud on my eyes and told me to go wash. I washed, and now I see. And, and, and they seem to hear that and think, that's pretty amazing. However, there's another group of Pharisees. We find out there's groups because there's division that rises up between the two different groups who, who looked at this entire situation and said, listen, I have bad news for you. I'm sorry to tell you that your claim, though valid in all areas, has a disqualifying feature about it. And we're going to focus on that, and we're going to make your life miserable from here on out. I mean, they don't say that, but that's exactly what they do. Your healing, sir, broke the rules. <laughs> do you know there are rules when it comes to healing? Oh, there are, according to Sabbath. The Sabbath rules that the Pharisees had come up with, there were two rules specifically that were broken in this situation. One a minor one, one a major one. The first minor rule that was broken about the Sabbath is when Jesus did this. You're not allowed to knead bread or dough or mud on the Sabbath. That's against the rules. The second thing that he did that was against the rules is he healed the man at all. No healings are allowed on the Sabbath. Unless it's a life-in-death situation. Then we can let it slide. How crazy is that? And these Pharisees are looking at this man who has never seen before. Suddenly he sees. 
And they're like, oh, that's so nice for you. But yeah, nope, sorry, bad news. Broke the rules. Doesn't count. The division between the Pharisees grows. You've got a, a group over here that's like, something significant happened. And over here, they're like, no, it broke the rules. No, it's something significant. No, it broke the rules. He must be a sinner. Can't be a sinner. He did a miracle. Must be a sinner. Can't be a sinner. And then all of a sudden, the conversation stops. And they look at the man. What do you say? And his answer is pretty profound. Verse 17. He's a prophet. Now remember, his first answer was, it was this man named Jesus. Now you give him a little while, and now he's saying, no, no, this man, Jesus, is a prophet. And to say that that infuriated the Pharisees would be an understatement. So now the Pharisees, just pushed beyond their limits, are so uncomfortable with what it is that is going on that now they decide they're going after his actual story. So what they say, verse 18, now the Jews don't believe this about him, that he was actually blind and received sight, so instead they summoned the parents of the one who received their sight. They're like, no, 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 there is no way this can be true. Get his mom and dad here to confirm the fact that he was actually blind to begin with. And they asked them, verse 19, it's your son, the one you say was born blind. Well, then how then does he see? <laughs> And you get two very uncomfortable parents in verse 20. Oh, okay, we, we know this is our son. We know he was born blind. Parents answered. We don't know how he sees. We don't know who opened his eyes. You ask him. He's of age. He's old enough. He's a big boy. He can answer for himself. And we get a little insight in verse 22. His parents said these things because... They were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anybody confessed Jesus Christ as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age, just ask him. Now, I just want to point something out. It is heartbreaking for that man, I am sure, to have his mom and dad throw him back under the bus. But it shows, and, and it is, it's, it's not a good look for mom and dad either. But it shows the, the fear that they have of losing something that they clung to, which was, I'll call it membership, their membership in the local synagogue. It says, you know, we, we, we will not answer because we're afraid because anybody who confesses that Jesus is the Messiah gets thrown out of the synagogue and we don't want any part of that. So, so it really does is an evidence for us of the immense fear that, that they carried with them that they would actually be tossed out, which actually in turn, instead of just trouncing on the reputation of the parents, in fact also demonstrates how brave this man is as the story continues. Verse 24. So a second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind, and they told him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Okay, so stop there for a second. Any of you watch detective shows? We're at that place in the detective show where the detectives have asked the, the, the accused at least a dozen times the same question over and over and over and over and over again, right? And now they've kind of walked out of the room and left him by himself, and now they're walking back in. They're like, hey, uh, can I get you a coffee or something? No, oh, here. Please, help yourself. Yeah, so. so come on. I mean, just between you and me. Come on. Just, you know, glory to God. Okay? He's a sinner, right? 
And the man's courageous response is this in verse 25. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. I don't need anything else. I don't need to get into any other details. I can only tell you where I was and I ain't what I was. I can see. Now, let me, let me, next step series, let me just jump out for a second and just encourage you in this. That is what it means to tell your story. That's what it means to explain to people what Jesus Christ did for you. I think too often we get in our minds, I must witness. So therefore, I need to create this elaborate story so that I can capture people's attention and astound them with my coming to Jesus Christ. When in fact, the very definition of witness is to explain what it is that you've seen and experienced, period. When you go to a court, you don't get to elaborate on the story. So you see a car accident, blue car, red car, both ran the stop sign and hit each other. You can't, when you're asked on the stand, you can't go, well, actually, the person in the red car, from my point of view, seemed to be, you know, and the blue car, I mean, he was speeding fast and there was funny smoke coming out of his windows, I'm just saying. Did you actually see that? No, but it makes a better story. You are the worst witness ever. Two cars ran stop signs, hit each other. That's all I got. I was blind. Now I see. Our heart for you, all of you, every single one of you, whether you're a member or not a member, just a regular attender or a first-time attender, our heart for you is that this week in particular, as we continue this story and, and wrap it up, as you remember what it means to love God, that it would cause you to stop, think, and reflect on your own story. And we want to help you with that. We want to help you with your story. We want to be available for you. Some of you may have questions about your story. You don't even know if you know Jesus Christ. Some of you don't even know what having a story means. Some of you are like, I just need to simplify it. I I wish I could. I need some help. Well, tomorrow night, 6.30 p.m., we would love to have you come here. 6.30 p.m. tomorrow night, the elders and, and, and pastors will be here. And if you come in and be like, I just need help with this, we would love to do that. We would love to. Now, we won't make you sit down in front of all 12 of us and be like, no, let me ask you a question. That's not what I mean by coming to join the elders. I mean, you come in, if you're here, members go, hey, go ahead, go sit down, have a conversation, and work through your story. But we'd love to do that for you because it's super important that we help you understand what it means to have a story about what Jesus Christ did for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you have, you're like, I'd like a story. Well, cool, we can't make one up for you. See, your story begins just like this blind man. I was blind. Do you recognize the fact that you are blind in your sin? Do you understand that you are separated from God because of your sin? Do you understand that every single one of us is a sinner? We're not highlighting you. We're focusing just on you. Every single one of us is a sinner, and we have fallen short of the very glory of God. We've been separated from God because of our sin, and God, in his ridiculous love for us, instead of just squashing us where we stood like we deserved, God loved you and sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. And if you would place your trust and confidence in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, not Jesus in church, not Jesus in a Bible, not Jesus in a pastor, not Jesus in a baptism, not Jesus in a big tithe check, you would trust Jesus Christ and him alone. That is the very beginning of your story. And it's just going to keep getting better and better and better. I was blind. 
now I see. So then they ask him, look at verse 26. So what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And at this point, my blind fellow friend here, who's no longer blind, just is done. You ever reach that point? I won't share personal illustrations, because I probably should have confessed them already. I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, I know. <laughs> you want to be his disciple too. Woo. Now, yesterday in the worship breakout session that Jeremy did, we did uh, he did talk about sarcasm. I would say this is a different level of sarcasm. It is in the spiritual gift zone. And that infuriates them. Verse 28, they ridiculed him. No, no, you're that man's disciple. We, we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses. This man, we don't even know where he came from. This is an amazing thing, the fellow said. You don't know where this guy's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Now, Let's do some basic theology here, verse 31. We know, now this is crazy. Here is an untrained individual speaking to the most highly trained theological minds of the day. And he says this, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. So if this man, and he does the logical uh, deduction there, so therefore, if this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. See, it's grown. So who healed you? Uh, this man named Jesus. Who healed you? Uh, this prophet. Who healed you? This man who is most obviously from God. <laughs> it's so immature, but it's so real in all of our lives, too. So I'm glad Scripture represents it. He really just breaks them down logically. And they... Their response is just personal insults. Their response is, oh yeah? Well, you're ugly. I mean, look, look, look at verse 34. Yeah, well, you were born entirely in sin. And are you trying to teach us? Yeah, you, you're ugly. And then it continues. Then they threw him out of the synagogue. I don't have a lot of time, so I gotta move it, sorry. Now that the man's been pitched out of the synagogue, and now he is, he's, he's been removed from that fellowship that he has. He look, look at what he's lost. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's got his sight, but it's cost him a lot. His neighbors can't figure him out. His parents basically deny him. The Pharisees are, are treating him like he is one of their enemies, and now he's been cast out of the synagogue. He is going through this period of difficulty unlike anything that you and I have probably ever experienced. And he's alone, but what happens? Verse 35, Jesus heard they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, did you get that? When Jesus found the man, the man didn't find Jesus. Jesus went and found the man. Jesus asked this man, do you believe in the son of man? 
Son of man. Let me, let me just real quick unpack this for you. The son, what is the son of man? What does that title mean for Jesus? This comes from Daniel chapter 7. The description of the son of, the man, son of man is the one who comes on the clouds with, with eternal rule over the, the whole world. This is the one who would appear with power and authority from heaven. The one who would bring healing in his wings. The one who would bring freedom for those who were entrapped. The one who, would, who is wholly unlike anybody else. And Jesus says, man, do you believe in the son of man? Now, when he says believe, it's not like a belief in the boogeyman. It's not like a belief in Santa Claus or a belief, sorry, the Ravens are going to go to the Super Bowl this year. (laughs) Got to get one in there. (laughs) This isn't a belief. It's not a mental acceptance of something that's happening. What Jesus is saying to him is, look around you. You have sight. But look what you've lost. Almost everything else. So what I'm asking you is, do you believe in the Son of Man? What I'm asking you is, do you believe that this one who is wholly unlike any other is enough for you when you've lost everything else? Is, is this one enough for you to love him with your entire heart, soul, mind, and strength? I love this man's response. How can I believe in this one who has all this power, all the authority. How can I believe in this one whose who be, uh, honor and strength belong to you? How can I believe in this one if I don't know who he is? I would love to know what's going through Jesus' mind at this moment. And you know me, so uh, this is my, my, I'd like to think, sanctified creativity. This is purely opinion. But I even love the way that it's worded, so it makes me think this. The man says to Jesus, who is he that I may believe in him? And you almost imagine Jesus getting a smirk. Looking at the man like. But nothing. So then Jesus begins by saying. You've seen him. Nothing. So it's amazing to me is even in the Greek, there's this addition at the end of you have seen me, in fact. So it's almost like Jesus is like, okay, that didn't work. All right, listen, um, he's talking to you right now. And the man immediately falls on his face and worships Jesus. Now, this worship isn't an organized event around the word of God where the people of God are, are given the opportunity to gather together and, and in unity lift their hearts and their voices to the King of Kings. It's not that kind of worship. This worship is the heart's response of appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done for him, for who Jesus Christ is. Because before him, he now recognizes the fact that this is the one that that has all power and all authority. This is the one who's, who's not limited in any way, shape, or form. This is the one who has come to heal. And he came and chose to heal him. This is the one who loved me. God himself. And I love him. I can love him. Because he loved me first. Do you love him? Like that? He might have saved you. What happens if you lose everything else? Is he enough? 
See, the, the beauty is when you're left with nothing but God, you have everything. And your love for him will demonstrate that. Do you love him? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you that in Christ we have hope. We have forgiveness. We have reconciliation. We have a relationship with you. Thank you that, that Jesus Christ didn't come for the holy. He didn't come for the squeaky clean. He didn't come for those who had it all figured out. He came for those of us who were blind in our sin. So Father, I pray for the one who might be with us who still has not kneeled before Christ and humbly proclaimed his name as Savior. God, I pray that in their darkness that you would crack the curtain just a little so they might see the very light of the world, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those of us who, who know him. Lord, I know that the things of the world will keep trying to crowd him out and keep trying to gain our attention. Father, I beg that you would help us remain focused on who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that we would love you in such a way that if we lost everything else, we still know we have everything we need. Jesus Christ died in my place. Condemned. He stood where I should have. The blood that poured from him was supposed to be mine. The crown he wore was supposed to be mine. The nails were supposed to be mine. But Jesus took my place. God, please, don't allow me to forget that. May I love you, love him. Just out of appreciation. Sheer overwhelmed by his love for me.